Hello, everybody. Josh Brown here, back for another great episode on Franchise Euphoria. Well, today's episode is brought to you by IndieFranchiseLaw.com, a leading resource in the franchise space to help you if you're considering buying a franchise, turning your business into a franchise, or growing your business through a licensing or franchise structure. So go on, check it out, IndieFranchiseLaw.com. I think you'll find a lot of valuable and free information as you continue to kind of weigh franchising and licensing and the growth of your business. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Houndstown USA is a fully interactive doggy daycare franchise, overnight dog boarding, and dog wash facility that offers customers worry-free and reliable pet care service. Founded in 2001 by former NYPD and Nassau County Police canine handler Michael Gould, Houndstown USA offers an affordable and refreshingly straightforward approach to pet care with no hidden fees or extra charges for add-on services. Since their inception, they have hosted over 1 million canine visitors for doggy daycare, dog boarding, and pet spa services. With seven locations on Long Island, two in New Jersey, and seven more on the way in Pittsburgh, Nashville, Atlanta, and Detroit, Houndstown USA is growing through a franchise model. And I am thrilled to have interviewed Mike Gould for today's episode. He's a New Yorker through and through. He has a tremendous background, both in the NYPD and military. He has served our country, and he is a lover of canines, and that shines through in this interview. And he's also really focused his efforts, because it's natural to him, to simplify the franchise process and make sure to keep it simple. I really, really enjoy that part of our discussion, as well as just learning more about his story and how he came to develop Houndstown USA uh, on the heels of retiring from the NYPD. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this interview with uh, Mike Gould. Hello, Mike. Welcome to Franchise Euphoria. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share our Houndstown story. Well, I love it. I mean, I've had many interviews, many people on, and I'm not sure. Well, I'm pretty confident I've never had somebody from the uh, New York Police Department on the <laughs> podcast. So I love how that ties into your story as you being, you know, a founding member of the NYPD canine unit and how it went from there in terms of your involvement with the police department, which ultimately led to the development of Houndstown. So if you, if you would, there's nobody better than you to share your own story. So walk us through that. Tell us about your career, what all led up to the creation of the Houndstown franchise? So it's been a very unique journey, unpredictable journey. There's not something that if you would ask me 20 years ago, I would be running a Houndstown doggy daycare pet care franchise. So it turns out in the late 70s and the early 80s, uh, New York City was crime ridden. Uh, you, know, you know, for those of you who know a little bit about or a little older, the crime rate in New York City was out of control. The parks were very menacing. You couldn't. So crime was high. So New York City, although it was a very progressive police department or it wanted to be progressive, they, they wanted to experiment with using police dogs to patrol the parks and certain city, uh, certain parts of the city to see what deterrent effect it would have on crime. So it was a pilot program that I was very interested in. Uh, very frankly, I gravitate more towards uh, animals than I do humans. 
So it was something that really interests me, the concept of working with a dog, particularly for the first time in New York City. Uh, so, so I was interviewed and I, I was uh, taken in as part of their pilot program. So I was one of the first canine handlers that went to be trained for this new pilot program. And they deployed us in the parks. Each borough in New York City has a park. Central Park is the obvious one in Manhattan, uh, Flushing Meadow Park in Queens. And, and that's where they felt the dogs would be most useful, the, the canine dogs, patrol dogs. And it turned out that it had a tremendous effect on crime. It reduced crime dramatically, not so much, not even utilizing the dogs, just their presence. So they, they represented a psychological presence. And from the time I began, my, my life has been working with dogs ever since. They've been incorporated in every aspect of my life. I was also simultaneous in the military, and I worked with the military working dogs. So all throughout my law enforcement career and my military career, my life was entwined or with working with dogs particularly. Well, the obvious thing to me, at least from somebody on the outside, is that having the dogs there would help from the perspective of what, like sniffing out drugs or, or what other ways did it help? I'm kind of curious about that. I mean, I was it from a drug or paraphernalia perspective or, or was it in other ways as well? Right. No. So that's a great question. And what you see now more what dominates law enforcement is the scent dogs, dogs that ser seek uh, or search out drugs or bombs, whatever substance we're looking for. A dog can be trained. The properly motivated dog can be trained to find anything. You can find anything, ink, uh, ink on currency, uh, cadavers, missing children, drugs, everything has a unique odor fingerprint. So a good, a, a properly motivated dog can be trained to find any one of those things. But the interest in New York City at the time, as was other big cities, was its psychological presence of a dog, a, you generally a German shepherd dog, in the back of a police car, knowing that a, a dog could run 30 miles an hour, and they were an offensive tool. It was really the only offensive tool to law enforcement that could actually apprehend uh, criminals or fleeing felons. So it, it was a tool to be utilized to apprehend fleeing criminal suspects. If there was muggings, whatever the, whatever the case would be, dogs, as I said, they can run 30 miles an hour. They can jump six feet over six foot fences very easily. At least they can be trained to do that. So the, the, the appeal at the time was the psychological deterrent of a, a uniformed police officer driving through the parks, knowing, as I said, so, so so the criminal element at the time, they were very leery of running away from a dog. They may run away from a human police officer, but they weren't at the time. So it, it acted as a very impactful tool psychologically. And as I said, very rarely did the dogs ever even get deployed for the purposes of apprehending criminals, but it, it, it acted as a huge psychological deterrent. Well, I can tell you this much. I'm I'm not a felon, but I know just the prospect of that happening would scare the you-know-what out of me. <laughs> so I can understand how it was effective. Right, exactly. And then then, then later on, the use of the, the dog's nose is, is really its usefulness to society, right? So it can, it can do amazing things, almost what appears to be supernatural things. It can find odorless substances. So if you talk about cocaine or heroin... If you ask a pharmacist or a chemist what it smells like, they'll say these are odorless substances, uh, plastic explosives. So dogs have this uncanny ability to be able to locate things 
that humans are incapable of. So that's their real value. And that's what their value is today, more than the criminal apprehension part of it. Uh, police departments probably quite justifiably are moving away from that. And they're, they're emphasizing the dog's ability to smell things, which is, it's almost, as I said, it almost seems supernatural what they can what was the reaction of introducing dogs at that time? I mean, I think nowadays, obviously, it's, as you said, it's more protocol and it's, it's been found to be very successful. But was there apprehension from the police department, from others who maybe weren't as comfortable with dogs or just didn't like the change? I think that ties into the whole business story of, you know, making changes, making advancements. So I'm just kind of curious what that was like. Oh, yeah, no, completely. And as I said, New York City at the time was a very progressive police department. We dealt with a more ethnicity than any other city in the world. So there was always, you know, these notions of, you know, Nazi Germany, German shepherd dogs being used inappropriately. Uh, during the civil rights riot, German shepherds using being used inappropriately. And so, yeah, there was certainly a, a public perception of it. And that's why the city was very tentative. And they, they rolled this out. That's why there was only a handful of us initially. And there was a lot of public relations involved. And we spent more training in the Canine Academy than you do in the Human Academy. So I always think that that's a pretty interesting aspect of it, right? So I spent six months in the academy with my police dog, opposed to four or five months in the original police academy. So there's a great deal of training, and they wanted to be made very, make the the community very comfortable, and we we took great lengths to do that. Did you end up then training other people, training other police officers, and so? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So I then, like I said, it became an obsession for me when I could see almost the magical abilities of dogs, although they're not magical, we scientifically know what they're doing. Yeah, I became obsessed with it. And from that very early stages of my life or career, I focused in and I eventually became the commanding officer of the Nassau County Police Canine Unit out on Long Island. I was a police lieutenant and I ran their canine unit for many years, as well as working with the military working dogs in the Navy. So, yeah, I, as I said, my life is 365 days, seven days a week. Some form or fashion, I'm doing something with dogs, including when I go on vacation. I visit rescue groups and I do seminars, uh, you know, all over the country and all over the world, actually. Talk about the events, you know, after 9-11 and how, you know, the work that you do with dogs and canines helped in the recovery efforts uh, at Ground Zero. So right around 2000, I was almost getting ready to retire from both the military. Actually, I was in the Navy and I was in the police department. And my both careers were approaching the end where I was going to retire. And I had started my first doggy daycare, my first Houndstown. I just, I, there was a lot of my friends would say to me, hey, Mike, I, I know you're retiring. Now you can take care of my dog for me when we go on vacation. And I was like, well, that's not, wasn't in my, my retirement plan. That's not what you were planning for, right? <laughs> that was not my retirement plan, taking care of people's dogs. But, you know, a light bulb went off for me. And more and more people were asking me, what should they do with their dogs when they go away or they're working late? A lot of them were people in law enforcement or first responders, uh, cops, firemen, nurses. And there was this need for them. They, they, they worked long shifts, sometimes unpredictable hours. So I opened up my first doggy daycare. And the requirement for me was it would had to be fully interactive. So I, I firm believer, and that's what's made us somewhat successful where we are now, 
is that the dogs needed to interact with other dogs because that's a requirement by nature. So I started this business in 2000, and then the events of 9-11 happened, and I was actually deployed. I was one of the first responders to ground zero with bomb dogs. I happened to have bomb dogs, and we were required to go down. And at that time, if you remember, nobody knew what was happening in the world. So we were checking all the buildings. We were looking for explosives throughout the, the you know, ground zero. So when that happened, all my fellow rescuers who had their own personal dogs, they started bringing their dogs to my Houndstown. So we were packed with my coworkers' dogs and other first responders. So that was really the impetus to it. And that's where things took off. And then uh, we always pivoted into working people. So it was never, it wasn't really designed for wealthy people. It was for really blue collar people that are commuting every day, going to work. And they want to have a pet to come home to. So we make pet ownership possible. There's many people out there that if not for Houndstown, they literally, they thank us. They straight up say, if we, if it wasn't for you guys, we wouldn't be able to have a dog. But what was that like going from a career in law enforcement to now a business career? you know, as a second act, as a retirement? I mean, obviously you had had your career. This wasn't something that you had been planning on and it came about very naturally. And obviously you you bring a tremendous level of expertise and knowledge to it. What was that like from a business perspective, taking that passion that you always had and now turning it into what you hoped would become a viable, good growing business? Yeah, no, it was very interesting. And I've always been somewhat of a sponge for knowing things. And I always said, you know, passion is one thing, but passion without knowledge is really kind of useless. You could be the most passionate person in the world, but if you don't have some other components to execute your passion or live out your passion. To answer your question, and I hear this a lot from people retiring. They say, you know, I retired. I never worked more than ever. So, you know, I think most people fill that void almost organically one way or the other. So this wasn't a very difficult transition. I maintain my relationships to this day. I do a lot of work training in shelters, and I I do a lot of work with law enforcement. I've always kept connected to all of these things. And, uh, you know, dogs are, you know, uniquely connect us all some way or another. It's kind of a phenomenal thing, you know, whether you're a dog lover or you just have a dog or you like dogs. There's a tremendous connection that dogs bring to all of our lives. So I have that universal connection with almost everybody. So what was the first thing you did? So, you know, now you're like, you you know, people are hitting you up and you want to sit around and take your dogs to the park and everybody's asking you to take care of their dogs and, you know, train them and so forth. What's your first move to turn this into a business back in 2000? Right. So we rented a factory. I rented a 1500 square foot factory at a very reasonable price. It was just basically an abandoned warehouse on Long Island. So I put some paint on the walls and I made it, you know, aesthetically pleasing for humans. It had a, and then of course I knew, and I know now the needs of a dog. A dog's needs are very, very simple. They're not complicated like humans. So dogs haven't evolved at all, really in 20,000 years, they're still the way they were. Humans have evolved at a crazy rate in the last seven. So our relationship with dogs have changed so much in 75 years and more so in the last year than ever. So 
I understood the dogs and dogs just want to be dogs. They're required by nature to interact with one another. So I understood that at a very early, as I said, 20 years ago, I could take German shepherds, Rottweilers, Dobermans, it doesn't matter. And I could put them in a group or a pack. And that was what differentiated me from anybody for many, many, many years of that ability. So really what we provided was just an indoor temperature controlled dog park where dogs could come and be dogs. And uh, we've never changed that. We've kept our, our business model that simple. So, you know, you start, you open up, you rent this warehouse. I presume, you know, as the story goes, right, you slowly but surely or maybe quickly fill it up, right? I mean, you, you, you have people, you have a name, you have an expertise. Oftentimes in business, you know, I know that it's hard to get going, right? I mean, it's you take an idea, you turn it into a viable concept. But what I truly believe is what's harder than that is growing a business. Because when you start a business, a lot of times you're throwing things up against the wall and seeing what sticks. You know, you have this expertise, but now you got to match that up with uh, customer expectations, customer experiences, a price point, marketing, you know, all right. that stuff, the operational component. What was that? like and when was the point in which you sort of knew okay i've got something here and now i want to grow it and in particular want to grow it through a franchise model it's a great question so the interesting thing i always understood my customer was the dog not the humans so i had a that was the challenge understanding that so i i we we take the dog as the customer it's his the dog's experience not what the human wants the dog's experience to be the dog experience so we stuck to that very simple philosophy and we kept it as simple as possible so as the in the last 20 years as as social media and marketing and everything is snowballing we obviously went with that with the marketing end of it, but the dogs haven't changed one bit. As I say, they haven't changed in 20,000 years. So they're, they, they haven't grown thumbs. They don't stand erect and they don't have a neocortex. They don't have a sophisticated brain, human brain. So we just leverage that. And we, under, it's, it's again, analogous to putting fish in water. You don't have to teach a fish how to swim. You just have to provide water for them. Uh, and they swim. So we understood this deeply. So we never discriminated against dogs, right? So up until the last five years, most of all of our competitors, they literally wouldn't allow certain breeds of dogs in their facilities. We never did that. So by doing that, we never alienated. Almost everybody has what would be considered a bully breed, right? A German Shepherd, a Rottweiler, a Doberman. So we never, ever discriminated against dogs because there was no need to because they're all dogs. So when people saw that, that was kind of a sea change. Doggy daycare at the time was a luxury. People would go play around the golf or somebody was going shopping. They'd leave their dog at doggy daycare as a luxury to get them out of their hair. Now, fast forward to 2021, it's an absolute necessity for dogs, not for everyone, but for most dog owners, they realize the need to have a dog socialize with other dogs, exercise and interact with them. So we just really just provide it. We have a huge social media presence on Facebook, YouTube, all those things, which I don't know much about at all. <laughs> uh, I'm used to you know advertising on diner mats, so that was uh, and uh, you know so so I stay in my lane, which is the dog behavior part. 
All of my team members have their specialty, their lane. And the most important is they're as passionate as I am with the knowledge to execute our plan. And that's, that's our big differentiator. I have a team of crazy passionate people. And again, as I said before, passion is wonderful, but if you don't have the knowledge and skill sets to do something with your passion, it's pretty useless. So, Well, let's talk about something in your lane with the dog, their personalities and how they act and their basic needs. You know, as I hear this and I listen to it, I got to imagine other people are thinking the same thing is, you know, when you're taking dogs and of course they haven't been trained by you, they haven't been living with you. So you're taking them in with their own experiences, their own environments. How do you, number one, ensure that they all get along? And number two, if they don't, what do you, what do you do about that? I mean, because the interactive aspect is, is obviously super important. But how do you ensure from a safety perspective that there's nothing bad that happens when somebody leaves their dog? Right, right. No, that's a great, great question. And that's at the core of what we do. And that's the core of of what we do well. So there's a soft science to this. Um, So we do what we call a temperament evaluation. And most of our competitors do some version of evaluating a dog coming into into their business. Our temperament evaluation takes less than a minute. So, and dogs make connections almost instantly. So in other words, if a dog walks into our facility, we have a scheduled temperament test. So if you were going to bring your dog, we tell you, okay, come in at one o'clock tomorrow afternoon. We'll spend about 15 minutes, 20 minutes. As you're coming in the door, I'm assessing and my staff is assessing your dog. Your dog is telling you such profound things every minute of the day. People just don't realize it, right? So if your dog is snoring on your bed, He's telling you he's absolutely relaxed and in peace. If he's going crazy at the door when the doorbell rings, he's telling you he's way out of balance. So every second in time, dogs are telling you something through body language, obviously not through uh, verbal language, but they're telling you things. So if a dog comes in, the first part of the temperament test, is he good with human beings? Is he, you know, is he overtly aggressive or fearful of humans? The answer 95% of the time, they're fine. They come in, their butts wiggling, their tails wagging. So that part of the evaluation lasted five seconds. You pet the dog, the dog is good. The next thing we do is we bring out a dog that we have in our facility. That's our one of our resident dogs that are there. And then we just simply watch the dog's reaction to the presence of another dog. And in that nanosecond, it's going to tell you, I'm not going to say everything, but most things. It's like introducing to a, a new child to a classroom. Is it a shy child? Is it a bully? So once you break it down to simple things, you're not going to, we're not giving an IQ test to the dog. He doesn't have to do anything, just be. And then we put them in a, the properly uh, the proper pack, the group. We So we group them by size, age, personality, and temperament. And once we do that, as I said, this is natural. So when people say, you know, it's again, it's analogous to putting a fish in water. You don't have to train dogs. They're dogs. So they're social pack animals by nature, just like three-year-old children. You don't have to train them to be social you, if you take a child anywhere in the country, give them a soccer ball and a puddle of water, they're going to have a blast. And the thing, right, it doesn't matter. They don't have to speak. They can speak language at two or three years old, but they have fun interacting with one another. And that's precisely what dogs do, because dogs are never more than a two or three year old child mentally. Obviously, physically, they are. 
but mentally they're never going to stand erect. They're never going to be able to read a book. That's just the way they are. That's nature. It's not my idea. I didn't, you know, I, so people either say, wow, I like your idea or I dislike your idea. So take it up with mother nature because this wasn't my idea. Dogs are bred into litters of seven or eight siblings. So they're born into a pack. So they know these things, but most humans don't understand it. So there's a theme in everything that you've said, which is, you know, the simplification, you know, keeping it simple. And that's such an important element in franchising. So I'm wondering, is that how you thought about the idea of turning this into a franchise when you did, or what led to you franchising this business? Right. So, so, so the obvious question is, can what I know about dogs be easily and successfully transferred to someone else? And the answer is an emphatic yes. And I've created this training in such a way that it, it's as simple as riding a bicycle. But there's, there's commonalities in riding a bicycle. You don't read a book on bicycles. You don't study bicycles. You don't go for a bicycle recertification. You don't need to know the parts of a bicycle. You just know that you got to relax. You got to pedal. You got to look ahead. And eventually, you're going to ride your bicycle. So to answer the question, everything about Houndstown is simplicity, simplicity of our training, simplicity of the services we offer. You don't need an accountant to figure out how much it's going to cost to come for a day of daycare. There's not a lot of upcharging. We keep it simple. So we're looking for similar minded people in our franchisee candidates. Don't comp com humans complicate life. That's a fact of life. We that have is this, a fact. <laughs> we have this very sophisticated neocortex and this isn't more evident in the last 75 years, the relationship between humans and dogs have become such a, how do I say, it, it's, it's just an out of balance relationship, right? So the dogs were domesticated 20, 30,000 years ago, and they lived very peacefully and in balance with humans. It's only in the last 75, 50, and now 2020 was probably the most accelerated relationship humans have. And that's, we have grown in 2020 more than we have in our history. Because of so, all the time with, I mean, because all the time at home and the re Well, right. So we all know, we know dogs fill this void of uh, emotional void that we have. That's a, a that's a fact of a scientific fact. So people ran out to shelters and just in March, the shelters were emptied out with dogs. Now, Fast forward to December, that honeymoon phase of the pet ownership and the responsibilities and all the things required had become very apparent to people. So now our daycares are packed with dogs. We, we've never had more daycare than ever before in our history in the last quarter in Q3. or so. And it's an out-of-balance relationship. So everything goes together to simplicity. When you bring a dog to Houndstown, all that stress in his life is taken away because there's no yelling, there's no screaming, there's no couches, there's no garbage to get into. All the toxic energy that may take place at home, uh, you know, as your family pet barking at the door and, you know, all the things, it doesn't happen. So it's again, it's like a, just a place for a dog to be a dog. And what is a dog? They literally want to sniff each other's butts, play. That's it. They don't need enrichment. You know, I very often laugh. When, you know, either competitors or even shelters, they're saying we have an enrichment program. And I think to myself, what is enrichment for a dog? What is it? You, you're going to read books. You're going to it's going to graduate, take pottery classes. There is no such thing as enrichment 
Enrichment for a dog is interacting with other dogs. And when they do it, that's what satisfies them because we kind of selfishly remove them, right? We've removed them from their natural litter, their siblings. You know, when you franchise a business, and I know you certainly realize this at this point, I'm, I'm curious if you knew it at the time or realized at the time was, you know, you as the entrepreneur, your role changes and it changes if you do it the right way, because now you're, you're no longer just worried about your one location. Now your job effectively is to worry about the growth of the brand and every franchisor entrepreneur who started it, their role shifts a little bit. I'm curious, and certainly with your background in training and everything, I'm curious how your role has changed or amplified or not since you began franchising this business? I mean, in other words, are you still involved with the training of new franchisees? And, and how has, has your relationship to the business and what you do with the dogs changed? Right. That's a great question. So, so my role really hasn't changed. The old saying, if you do what you love for a living, you never work a day in your life. So I can very, very candidly say I've never worked a day in my life in the last 50 years since I've been working with dogs. So my role hasn't changed. Obviously, I try to oversee everything. But I, I and I say this, people think I'm kidding, but my brain is closer to that, operates closer to that of a dog, then it does very sophisticated. I don't have a very sophisticated brain, so I, I can't computers and I, I, that's, I'm just not an, I don't have an academic brain. So I stay in my lane. I do the training and we have a training staff and we made this so simple. And, and again, that my whole job in life is deprogramming humans because when it comes to dogs, you have to take off, literally detach yourself from your human brain. You have to match up what you know works with the dog with an expectation with the human who's dropping off the dog. Right. Absolutely. So there's two components. There's the customer service and customer service. You have to deal with the customer's expectations. But the customer's expectations and the dog's expectations are usually very far off. So as again, dogs just want to come in and play with a group of 10 or 12 dogs where Humans sometimes want to project what they would do for a child. You know, are they going to do this? Are you going to do that today? You know, we have our theme parties. I always laugh. We have our theme parties. We have a Halloween party. And I see dogs being dressed up like bumblebees. And I'm like, do you, does anybody really think that this dog enjoys an elastic band around its head and understands anything about the participation in a Halloween party? So, that's for the humans, our Halloween party, we'll have a Valentine's Day dance. But at the core, the dogs couldn't care less about anything. So who's your who's your idea? I mean, you're now in you're in Long Island and New Jersey and Pittsburgh and Nashville, Atlanta, Detroit. I mean, you've got some expansion, which is fantastic. Who who's your ideal franchisee? I mean, who who who's the type of person who would be a great fit for the Houndstown franchise? So I, I kind of just came up with this recently. What is with all the challenges of 2020, I've narrowed down a, an entrepreneur, so somebody almost who subconsciously likes challenges in their lives. I don't think we welcome them. But for me, I have this kind of subconscious desire. I feel rewarded when I overcome a challenge. So an entrepreneur, if you're a drama, you know, drama and emotional, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for people that just, again, are understand the hard work of running a business, particularly a small business with animals, and understand there's going to be challenges every day. 
And if you're the type of person that throws up your hands and runs out the door or you're a yeller or a screamer, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for. And the other part is I actually don't look for people with any dog experience. Usually having dog experience, professional dog experience is a disqualifier, which is, again, counterintuitive, right? You would think that people, uh, you know, that were dog trainers or this, they're not. It's almost a disqualifier for us at Houndstown. So as you, we look into 2021, we're right at the start. Uh, we're obviously still in the midst of, of COVID, but seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, I think. What are you sort of, what are you hopeful for, for Houndstown in 2021? I mean, what are your goals and aspirations for it in this new year? So if you would have asked me last January the same question, I would have had a completely different answer. What's happened to us in the last, since March, we have seen a phenomenal growth. So we are preparing to, to expand at a rate that we can, we're doing discovery days. In fact, I'm here in Sanford, Florida right now. We're doing three discovery days uh, today and tomorrow. And so what I'm looking for is growth, strategic growth. We have people coming from the hospitality, the uh, restaurant, fitness space, and they all see the potential in, in, in pet care. So we're actually, ironically, not maybe it's not ironic, but we, we're very careful who we select. So as, as you know, we don't sell franchises, we award them. And, and it's to your point, to people with certain qualities, and they have to be a cultural fit for us, that they understand what we're doing. And and they believe in what we do. So our customers, our franchisees, we're almost developed a little cult. If you ever look at any of our social media, Houndstown, uh, Facebook or anything, we have a, a cult of people that just understand us. We call them townies. They understand us. And uh, so the growth is going to be phenomenal. We're, we're building 25. We're going to open 25 new units uh, in in 2021. We're opening four or five in the next month. So oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's crazy. And again, it's not to my business skills. If you would have asked me, I don't think anybody could have predicted what 2020 was going to do, either positively or negatively. So we just go with the flow of energy. Uh, we as we 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 want to be able to, as I said, grow strategically so we can support our growth. Yeah, it's been a crazy ride, and uh, it's been a lot of fun, and we're looking. My prediction is within 36 months, I'll make this prediction. Houndstown is going to be really uh, the premier name in pet care. I really believe that in my heart. And not only we see it, there's evidence of it. As I said, we're expanding really rapidly and successfully. Is the best place to find you guys houndstownusa.com? Yeah, it's great. And then there's a link to our franchise if you want information on franchise or a, or a location near you. We're, uh, yeah, absolutely. HoundstownUSA.com. Well, just to finish off, thank you so much, by the way, for your service, for your service uh, in the police department, for your service in the military. You know, I say that on behalf of everyone, but certainly, you know, I'm, I'm appreciative of that and the sacrifice that goes along with it. You know, on a personal level, too, I, I love talking to New Yorkers. I'm from Indiana. I'm from the Midwest. And I, I'm being serious. I do. I love the transparency, the authenticity, the straightforwardness of it. And I, and I really do think that ties in a lot into franchising, too, because it forces a simplification. You know, your your whole story seems to me to be about trying to stay in your lane. You know, and it's got a theme 
all the way through it with the dogs and the care for the dogs and the training of the dogs and keeping it simple. And you weave that in to your franchise story. And I think that that is no small reason. Uh, I think it's a large reason for, for the success that you're experiencing. So good on you for that. You know, stay, I'm, I'm telling you, staying in your lane is one of the hardest things for entrepreneurs to do. I see it all the time in franchising. People want to, they start one way, they have some success, and then they want to expand out to these other ancillary areas that end up pulling them away from their core. So congratulations to you, Mike. It's really been a joy speaking with you. And uh, I look forward to following uh, your success and um, seeing what's to come in 2021 and beyond. So thank you. Thank you so much. And we love it. And it was really a great, you had some really, obviously, you know what you're talking about because the questions you asked were spot on regarding franchising. So I always appreciate it. Love the opportunity to talk about both franchising and dogs. So uh, thank you again. And I hope you have a really good meeting. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Franchise Euphoria. If you enjoyed this episode or have enjoyed the podcast in general, I would really appreciate it if you could go to iTunes and leave me a rating and review. It really helps to get this podcast out to more and more people. So the easy way to do it is go to iTunes and in the search box, put in Franchise Euphoria. You will then see my cover art and you click on my smiling face that says Franchise Euphoria and then click on the link that says Ratings and Reviews. It's that simple, but boy, oh boy, does it mean the world to me when people leave ratings and reviews. And like I said, it really helps get the show out there. Once again, would love it if you would go to iTunes and leave a rating and review if you enjoyed this episode or other episodes of the show. And until the next time, happy franchising.